does that mean that there is something wrong with you? With Ezekiel, we see that there was some difficulty and why there was some difficulty with him delivering the message to the people of Israel. Now, the uh, most people's knowledge of this book consists of two things. One, that there was this vision of wheels, wheels within wheels, and two, the valley of dry bones. But there's a whole lot more in the 48 chapters of the book of Ezekiel than just these two events. Now, the Babylonian Talmud reports that some of the rabbis had advocated withdrawing the book from from circulation. It was avoided, but only after extreme efforts were made. Jerome does report, though, that some rabbis prohibited the reading of the beginning and the end of this book by anyone under the age of 30. But we had the book in its entirety, and no one is prohibiting its reading. I can't say that this is a book that most people go to for comfort, for wisdom, or any such thing, because, again, most people are pretty ignorant of what is in the book. And if they do read it, really don't see what the purpose of it is for today. But uh, as we get through this, we're going to be giving you an overview of what the whole book consists of, what its message is, and some things about the man, Ezekiel in particular. In verse 1 of chapter 1, in Ezekiel, it says, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Shabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Now that thirtieth year, it is unknown exactly what he means by the thirtieth year. I think the best assumption, and again, this is an assumption we don't know for sure, the best assumption is that it's in his 30th year, that he's 30 years old. There are possibilities of, of other things, uh, but you really can't put a concrete uh, part on it. It's not the 38th year of anyone's reign. It's in the fifth year of the captivity, which means the anyone's reign would have been interrupted five years ago. So if it is his 30th year, it would mean that he was 25 when he was taken captive. Now the word, the name Ezekiel means he will be strengthened of God. This name could have been given to him at birth or it's also conjectured that it was a title that he assumed. Ezekiel is not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. Only by himself. We only even find uh, references to the book in the in the New Testament or in very many other writings. There's a few authors who mention it. They don't give us anything substantial on the book or on him personally. So nothing really is known about his life except what is revealed in this book. That's about all we got. Unlike other prophets, there's no Jewish tradition to tell us of how or when he died. He was uh, apparently not given the attention that the other ones were. Now Josephus says that he was taken when he was young. So, I don't know how young 25 really was. And by reference of himself, he was married and his wife died during the um, uh, Babylonian invasion. At least that's the year that, uh, that she died. It's kind of assumed that she died somehow in that attack that was done. 
But Ezekiel did come from a priestly family and from the family of Aaron. He was a priest of the son of Buzai. His father was probably of the line of Zadok. And we have a few verses of reference for that, which as time, I'll, I'll give them to you if you want them. It's in uh, uh, chapter 1 of verse 3, 40 and verse 46 and 44 and verse 15. Now the line of Zadok had taken the place of the house of Abiathar. The house of Abiathar was, of course, uh, replaced because of the sins of Eli's sons. And so the house of the line of Zadok had taken over in its place. This gave him a certain amount of dignity, which is probably why he was taken into captivity and Jeremiah was left behind. Jeremiah was at at best middle class, lower class, whereas this lineage would have put Ezekiel in the upper class. And when they came and they took away, they took away the best of the of the nation of Israel. And that's why he was carried away and he was and Jeremiah was left. So what you have is the Jeremiah in his book, which is prophecies from the land of Israel, or the land of Judah specifically, and then the book of Ezekiel, which is prophecies from the land of Babylon, all around the same same time frame. Uh, he may have had some wealth and was a man of influence. The elders of the exiles met in his home and they consulted with him. I gave you a few references about that. He was likely taken captive in 597 B.C. when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, captured Jerusalem after a brief siege. I believe this is the second captivity. Daniel was taken in the first. Second Kings 24 and verse 14 says he also he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. So when Jeremiah was left, he was apparently one of the poorer people of the land. Now this, this event in particular is described in the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 24, we're going to read the whole chapter there. The Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord, after Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, What what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like those good figs, so I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good, into the land of Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. And I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. And as the bad figs which cannot be eaten, they are so bad, surely thus says the Lord. So will will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, and taunt and curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword and famine and pestilence among them till they are 
consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. Now you remember Jeremiah had a word for these people after the first fall and the first group was taken captive. And after they rebelled and they killed the person that they had put in, in place. And Jeremiah had told them, now don't flee to Egypt. And of course they didn't want to listen to that word. And they fled to Egypt anyway. And God is including those who have gone to the land of Egypt. He says, well, they're the, the, they're the bad figs. Nothing good with them. But the ones that I'm taking off to, to captivity, they have some good in them. And though they have not, not all of them are serving God at the time, he says they will eventually return to me. And so that's why he's taking them there for protection. But those that were left in the land were basically those that were, um, God said there wasn't, there wasn't enough good in them. They weren't going to be salvaged. So that's the prophecy of the figs. If you remember Jeremiah's prophecy of the figs, that is the setting of it. Now it says that uh, Ezekiel was a sensitive man. This was taken from the brief description of his feelings for his wife in chapter 24, 15 through 18. And by his earnest plea that God would spare his people and not destroy them completely. That's in 9, 8 and 11, 13. And by the tenderness of his, his description of God as the shepherd of his, of his sheep in chapter 34, 11 through 16. Now one cannot study Ezekiel. I got this, I actually wrote this down. This is a quote of something I found. One cannot study Ezekiel's prophecy without realizing that he possessed the priest's sense of holiness of God, the prophet's sense of the message that had been entrusted to him, and the preacher's sense of responsibility for his people. For his people. All three things rolled up into one. Let's go back over here to Ezekiel chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw the visions of God. His home was in Tel Abib. This is the primary location of the exiles on the river Chabar. Generally identified by uh, with the Grand Canal southeast of Babylon. When Babylon took people captive, they kept them together. When Assyria took people captive, they split them apart, which is why the southern nation was preserved and the northern nation was dispersed. Now, he was to be God's spokesman and a watchman to the exiles. Let's finish reading up uh, or two here. On the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. This is the beginning of his ministry. As far as we know, this is the beginning of his ministry. This seems to be the time when he was called and set aside by God to, to operate in this. If he truly is 30 years old, he had about 30 years of preparation. During, <clears throat> during the time of his preparation, he would have been alive and probably born during the reign of King Josiah. And so that would have been the restoration of the temple worship and him being of one of the priest lines, the higher up priest lines, he would have been called into service. So he was probably in service for the temple for most of his time in the land of Judah. And when he was taken captive and the uh, temple will eventually become destroyed, that, uh, that of course ended. All right, in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 10, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I may, that I speak to you and hear with your ears, and go get the, to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, 
whether they hear or whether they refuse. So, Son of Man, receive into your heart all my words. So he's telling them, I need you to get all these things down, all that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them. Tell them, thus says the Lord, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So he's telling them, now, I need you to get these words down. Go and tell these to the people. Some are going to refuse. Some will hear. Regardless of whether they hear, regardless of whether they refuse, you, you go ahead and speak these things to them. In verse 17, the same chapter, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth of Israel. Therefore, uh, hear a word of my mouth and give them warning from me. So he was called God's spokesman and a watchman to the exiles. This was his calling. This was his, uh, this is how God saw him. His ministry spanned from the fifth year of Jehoiakim's exile, and that was around 592 B.C. to the 27th year, or 570 B.C. And that's uh, found in references Ezekiel 1 and 2, which we read, and then chapter 29 and verse 17. So from the fifth year of Jehoiakim's exile to the 27th year, 592 to 570, about 22 years. Now Ezekiel's tough message was made more difficult because of his great love for God's people. He loved God's people. That comes out in some of the areas of his writing. The things that he said. Now, delivering a tough message is not made easy because of your call. Sometimes we think that because of the call of God that I have, I'll be able to deliver a tough message. But that's not necessarily the case. You have a tough message. It's a tough message. Now, if you want to go to the category of one like Jonah, Jonah's message for the people of Nineveh was a tough message. Repent or you will die. God is going to destroy this place. That's a tough message to deliver. But it didn't bother him at all. He had no trouble delivering a tough message. Basically, he just kind of came in and just said, look y'all, you're going to die. God's going to destroy you. Repent or else. And there was no heart put in it because he, he didn't have a heart for this people. He didn't like this people. He didn't want these people to repent. That's why he fled and went away to, to uh, Tarshish to get away from, from giving the message. And God says, uh, we're not going to do it that way. You are going to deliver the message. But the, the more heart you have for the, for the people that you are delivering a message to, the harder it's going to be. It's not the call that makes it easy. So for Ezekiel, because he has such a, a great love for the people, it's it is difficult. So it basically comes down to how much we like the people that God has called us to minister to. Understand this. You don't have to like the people that God's called you to minister to. That's not required. It's better. <laughs> it's a whole lot better. It's easier on you. But just because you like or don't like them, doesn't mean that you'll be re, uh, removed from the call that God has for you. Now you can think about this as far as the ministry is concerned, but how many times have you run into parents who suddenly have grown into a place where they don't like their kids? It doesn't mean that you are free from ministering to them. You are still to be there and minister to them as, as their parents, even though they may have done things that have caused you not to like them. You're not as fond of them as you, you may have been. Our liking, the people God has sent us to, has no bearing on His call. 
generally when we don't like them is because something we have got, have done, we have become selfishly oriented. Uh, Jonah, the example we used, he became very selfish. If God judges them, they won't be there to take away our people. To, uh, to execute judgment against our people. So I'd rather have them be judged by God. Otherwise, they're going to come down and do to us some uh, not so good things. So, But his message was one of warning to a people who rebelled against God and who yielded to the ungodly environment around them. They had been removed from the place of Jerusalem and even there they were rebellious. They were not doing the things of God. Now they were put out into a secular place, a secular world, and they're, they're going after the things of the secular world. And his message to them is, knock it off. Go after God. And it's a hard message. And he has to keep delivering this hard message. You need to pursue God. This is, this is what you need to do. And a lot of times they don't want to hear it. And there's reasons for it. And we're going to do some things here to, to kind of show you the atmosphere of what was happening here. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. So he's being sent, now in light of the other scriptures, he's being sent to the good figs. But God's called them rebellious. But God has said, this is the people that's going to come back to me. The other ones are not going to come back to me. That's why they're bad figs. It's not the state of where they are now. It's the state of where they will become. And this is something that escapes us a lot of times as we're ministering to people. Is that we look at the both barrels and we see two barrels of bad figs because of where they are now. God has the ability to look at where they will be and say, alright, they may be here now, but I see where they can be. And that's what makes them good figs. If we stay stuck in a place where we only see the bad figs, we only see them because of what they're doing now. We lose our heart to like them. We lose our heart to minister to them. And ministry becomes a lot more difficult. God has the ability to see what we would look at as bad figs and see it as a basket full of good ones. And He is separating them, not based on what they are doing now, but based on what they will do down the road. That's something we have to, to begin to do in our ministry and the things that we do for God. So he says, I am sending you to a children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Chapter 3, verse 4. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Wow. God said, if I sent you to somebody who doesn't speak your language, they would have listened to you. (laughs) But I'm sending you to people who speak your language. You speak their language, and they're not going to listen to you. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. The reason that we do not listen to men and women of God is because we won't listen to God. A lot of times we look at them and say, well, it's because they had this personality or they had this thing going on or I don't like this 
and we look at natural things. But according to God here, the reason that they would not listen to Ezekiel is not because of anything about Ezekiel. It is because you are speaking my words and because they refuse to hear my words, they will refuse to hear yours. Now in in Judah, Jeremiah was prophesying about a long captivity. This is This is going to help you out with some of the setting here. In fact, if you read through the entire book of Ezekiel, you may never get this picture. This will really help you understand this. In Judah, Jeremiah was prophesying about a long captivity and a return to Jerusalem. The people didn't like this message. And other prophets arose with a more acceptable message. So Jeremiah was saying, folks, you're going to be here for a long time. Jeremiah even sent a message, a prophecy from the land of Judah out to Babylon and tell them, plant vineyards, <laughs> plant gardens, grow stuff because you're going to be there a long time. And they didn't want to hear it. People in Babylon didn't want to hear that they would be there for a long time. And so if we don't want to hear a message, we will find people who will give us the message that we want to hear. In Jeremiah chapter 28, we're not going to read this, but if you want to go home and do some extra reading, it's a very interesting chapter. Uh, I, I may or may not have put it in your outline, but you can write it down in there. Jeremiah chapter 28. There was a prophet by the name of Hananiah who was one who spoke of a return in two years and a restoration of temple worship. He broke the wooden yoke on Jeremiah because Jeremiah had put a wooden yoke on him to symbolize the yoke that Israel was under. He broke the wooden yoke on Jeremiah and then God gave him a word about it being replaced with a yoke of iron. So Hananiah came in and in the presence of all the people to support his, his prophecy that this will be all over in two years and the temple worship would be restored. He came over to Jeremiah and his wooden yoke and he broke it. And after they had a little discourse between them, and that's all in the 28th chapter, uh, Jeremiah went home. And Jeremiah, once he was home, God gave him a word. He says, they have broken the wooden one. Now, I'm going to give them an iron one. They made their situation worse because they decide not to hear the words of God and to hear a word of a prophet they prefer. And there are more beside Hananiah. He's just the one that is that is being discussed here. Jeremiah was telling people to surrender to the Babylonians. Some prophets of those exiled were telling people to rebel. So there were prophets who were carried off into captivity that were over in the land of Babylon, contemporaries with Ezekiel, who were sending word back to the people in in, um, Jerusalem, no, rebel against Babylon. God is with you. (laughs) And Jeremiah is saying, no, surrender. And this is the setting where they come to him and they say, hey, what should we do? You tell us what God would have us to do. This is the setting. They've got people claiming to be from God and one says one thing and the other says something else. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel are basically on board with the same message to different groups of people. I don't hear, I didn't find anything, at least not so far, that Ezekiel was sending anything back to Jerusalem. It seems that Ezekiel is content to minister to people there in the Babylonian area. But Jeremiah, he's sending stuff back. He's, he's not only ministering to people here, he's sending prophecies back over there to the, to the people in Babylon and telling them 
uh, some things. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 15. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. So, uh, they are so bad. (laughs) There's our figs again. And I will pursue them with the sword, with the famine, and with the pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I have sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you in the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, whose prophecy, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who were in Babylon, saying, The Lord will make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know, and am a witness, says the Lord, you shall also speak to Shemaiah of Nehalamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who were at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and consider themselves a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now therefore, why have you not reproved Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? So they're writing back and saying, how can you haven't uh, corrected Jeremiah, having, having locked him up? For he has sent to us in, in Babylon, saying, this captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, The Lord says, or thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah, the, the, the Helamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, I have not sent him, and has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah, the Nehalite, the, the Helamite, and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people. Thus says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. So they read this letter, and Jeremiah is right there. This letter is speaking against Jeremiah. And Jeremiah just stands there defiantly, and then he gets a word from God. He doesn't speak of his own, he gets a word from the Lord. And the Lord tells him what to speak, and he speaks it. Now, hindsight makes it easy to determine which prophets were speaking the word of God. But they didn't have the hindsight in the day that this is is written. They had to determine on their own who was speaking the truth. 
We look back on here and we say, well, Jeremiah, obviously. I mean, he's got the book in the Bible. <laughs> These other guys don't have the book in the Bible. Ezekiel, he made the Bible. Hananiah, he's not in the Bible. These other guys, they're not in the Bible. Obviously, these are the guys that are God. How come they didn't realize this? But you see, we have some of the same things going on today. And hindsight makes it easy to determine. But we don't all have hindsight. Now, what was going on here in this day is because you had a group of prophets who are prophesying short captivity, quick restoration, and then other ones who are saying long captivity, eventual restoration... And the people are being confused. And, you know, they both have props. You know, each one of them, they, they would bring in their props and they would show, you know, this is what's going on. Thus says the Lord Jeremiah would bring out the, the yoke and he'd wear the yoke and demonstrate to them what was going on. And then Hanani would come over and break the yoke. And he, he would have uh, things that he would do with, uh, with props. And they would both sound very authoritative in what they're doing. And they're all very convinced that what they heard, they heard from God. And so it got to the point here in the land that many just rejected all prophetic messages. Well, I'm not going to hear any prophetic message. I don't want to hear Jeremiah. I don't want to hear Ezekiel. I don't want to hear Hananiah. I don't want to hear any of them. Because I can't determine who's right and who's wrong. So they began to despise the, the prophetic utterances that these folks were given. Now that's the goal that Satan would have. He just wants you, if he can get you just to despise all of it, that's fine. But he's going to try and bring in the false to confuse what is the good. But it accomplishes his same purpose if you despise all of it because you're not getting the word of God. And that's what he cares about. He only cares that you don't get the word of God. And it's certainly going on with these, these people here. So, they just rejected all prophetic messages, including those from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So they had to defend their prophetic authority and the need to listen to them. Why should we, why do we need to listen to you? Whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. <laughs> Sound familiar? Now Ezekiel had an extra thing come in. He had to deal with the thinking that anything outside of Jerusalem wasn't true prophecy. That only true prophecy came from Jerusalem. Anything outside of Jerusalem didn't exist as true prophecy. So Ezekiel had to deal with this, this thinking that was there. And had to defend himself over that. Because as far as they knew, Jerusalem was of utmost importance. Jerusalem was the city that God had anointed. David's lineage of king was the one that would last forever. And Messiah would come from it. And so they see everything as hinging on David's line being king and Jerusalem being their capital. This is the this is their thinking. This is uh, one of their fundamental tenets. So they had debates over the importance of Jerusalem and it, that it was the source of all that God had, all that God is, and that it had to continue. Now, can you imagine what would happen if you have this thinking that God is operating out of Jerusalem, that the Davidic line is where the Messiah comes from, and the Davidic line is promised to be forever, and then all of a sudden Jerusalem is destroyed? 
and a Davidic line seems to be removed. Can you see how that would mess with your faith? And this is the situation. This is where Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is going to bridge this gap. His half of this, his book is dealing with Israel while Jerusalem is still there and the other half when Jerusalem has been destroyed. And these people are disillusioned because they think that Jerusalem would last forever. And one of the things that would come up here is they have always believed that their God is the most powerful. Their God is above all. And now they are faced with something and I'm sure that they even hear this. Those in the land of Babylon have probably even heard this. You think your God is all that? Our gods and our king has knocked him out. The God of Babylon is greater than the God of Israel. And the king of Babylon is greater than the king of Israel. And how does Israel debate that? How do they argue? This is what they, they've always believed, that God is greater. And now all of a sudden, God is not. At least a, a, a case can be made. Now we know, looking back, of course, that this is the judgment of God. But again, this is what's going on in that day. They don't have all the scriptures that we have. They don't have all the teaching that we've got. They're trying to piece all this together as it's going on. And you've got prophets, prophets on all different sides with all different kinds of messages clouding the field with the message of God. So when the city fell and the temple was destroyed, did that mean that God broke His covenant? Did that mean that the Davidic line was no longer on the throne? All these kind of questions would come up. Now in the day of the prophetic words that were in the conflict, <clears throat> Ezekiel claimed prophetic authority. And he was very confident of that. Uh, I have the I have the authority of the Word of God on this. And I gave you a summary of Ezekiel's message. It's very simple. I just gave you blank lines in there. You can write this down here if you want to. But the first thing is, God is holy. There's five aspects to his message here. First thing is, God is holy. The second one is, Israel is sinful. The third message, God will judge. The fourth, Israel must repent. Here's the fifth one. This is the important one. This is something that they didn't really have in their thinking. God will restore. God will restore. Now, just putting this in perspective, the one, one of the messages that people are so familiar with with Ezekiel is the message of the dry bones and how they will live again. That message is delivered during the part where God is, is instilling in them that God will restore. You see, their hope had always been in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem would always be here and that God would always be dealing with Israel through the city of Jerusalem and through the Davidic line. And as the Davidic line is no longer being king, and Jerusalem is destroyed, God sends the message 
of the dry bones that God can call to life bones that are dry and then God can flush them out and God can breathe life in it and what he's basically saying to him is this I don't care how destroyed Jerusalem is or where the Davidic line goes I can call it all back and bring it to life again and in this in this context God is in this the last section of this this book is where we have some of the description of the new Jerusalem that would come that not only is God not limited to this particular Jerusalem being here, God is already making a new Jerusalem and that new Jerusalem will descend and will come on down and that is a Jerusalem that will not be harmed by man or anything that man can do. So that's the overview of this. Here's a, here's a quick outline. First off, in chapters 1 through 3, we have Ezekiel's call. In chapters 4 through 24... We have Jerusalem will fall. Prophecy after prophecy, Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. Chapter 25 through 32. Other nations will fall. Not only will God judge Jerusalem, God will also judge other nations. And then we have a break in one chapter, in chapter 33. Very different from the others. And this one it is describing Ezekiel as the watchman. And his description of the city of Jerusalem. The watchman and the city. And in that, before the, I believe it is before the children of Israel even know that Jerusalem is destroyed, Ezekiel knows it through the word of prophecy. Chapters 34 through 48 is Jerusalem being restored. The first is the the city on the earth of Jerusalem being restored. And the second is the new Jerusalem as it's being described in the book. But just as in Ezekiel's day, we have to make a distinction between what is the true word from God and what is fake without the benefits of hindsight. We don't have the benefit of what goes on in the past. And over the years, over the decades actually, we've been here, I've been here as the pastor of the church, one of the things that I always try and do, because we've had many leaders of this country, we have some leaders who profess to be Christians, other people who profess but don't live it, other ones who don't even live it, and just uh, just went off on their own own direction. We've had many different leaders over the over the time. And you'll have different people who will get up and some will say that this leader is of God and other leaders will get up and say this leader is not of God. It's the same thing they had during the days of Ezekiel and during the days of Jeremiah. They'll say that this is of God and this is not. We have hindsight. We can go back and we can look over and decide what was what was right. But we don't have the advantage of hindsight. We have to make some of these decisions now. What will cause some people to just make a a uh, blanket statement? Well, I'm just not. I'm, I'm not going to deal with any of this. I'm not going to deal with any words of prophecy. I don't care what prophets have to say. I'm just going to cut it all out of my life. I don't need that. 
I just study the Bible and get the Word of God from there. But prophets are still part of, of the Word of God. And they will still come. And you will have prophets on one side and you will have prophets on the other. And just as in the days of Israel during Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and God expected them to know the difference between what was true and what was right and what was wrong. We are going to be expected to do the same. We won't be able to stand before our God and say, well, I didn't know. Well, I gave up. That won't be the, that won't be the case. But over the decades we've been going through leader after leader, situation after situation, many different things that we have faced in this country. The one thing I've always tried to take you back to is we've gone through the Word of God and I don't just show you this is, this is wrong when this leader does this, this is right when this leader does it. I show you the pattern of the enemy in the Word of God. And many times I've taken you through Scriptures and said this is what this leader is doing. Here's the pattern in the Old Testament. Here's the pattern in the New Testament. This is the pattern of the enemy. During the years, some people will say, I don't like that. <laughs> I've, had that I've had that from people. I don't like that. And uh, they'll, they'll refuse it. Uh, just because people don't like to receive it doesn't mean I can change it. The enemy's pattern is always the same. And it's in the Word of God. Some people will hear it and some people will not. Just because we have some people that reject what we consider to be the Word of God or the Word of prophecy for a particular situation in our country our leaders, or whatever it might be. doesn't mean that God has rejected them. Because I understand that in this book of Ezekiel, and in the prophecy that Jeremiah had, Jeremiah had two, two containers. One container of bad figs, one container of good figs. Yet at the time, both of those containers rejected the Word of God. But he said, this container over here is good. We have to be able to look past the rejection of the present to see what will happen in the future. And what God's word to Ezekiel was, there are going to be people who will not receive it. But you keep you keep giving it. You keep speaking it. It was important for him to do so. And there's a whole lot of people. It seems that most of the people were not receiving what it was that he was saying. Even though he had the good figs. I don't know if they ever had any uh, letters that went before Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But if Ezekiel ever wrote to Jeremiah and says, man, it's tough out here. I mean, we got evil all over. There's Babylonians. There's uh, just Babylonian sin and Babylonian idolatry and, and all sorts of stuff. And these people just won't listen. Oh, I'll tell you what. I wish I was back home. I wish I was back in Jerusalem. And, and uh, it's just so rough out here. And Jeremiah probably writes back to him. What do you mean rough out there? <laughs> I got the bad figs. You got the good figs. <laughs> so I can imagine they would have had some, some discourse between them if they had uh, ever done that. But I don't know that they ever did. Don't wait on hindsight. Don't wait on the ability to look back and see what it is that has gone on. God has given us a pattern. And whenever the devil shows his face, it is always the same pattern. In the days of Paul... They never could debate Paul on the doctrine that he was presenting. They always had to come after his character. That's what they did. 
That's a pattern of the of the enemy. It was a pattern in the Old Testament. When Ahab wanted a vineyard, he couldn't debate the logic for which it was not being given to him. He could not debate the truth of why it was not being given to him. So what they did was they came up with a plan to trash his character. When Stephen was brought before the the uh, the priest or the, the, the rulers of the day, they couldn't debate him on the truth of the Word of God. So they sabotaged his character. When they came up against Jesus, they couldn't debate the miracles and the truth that what he taught. And so they brought people in who would be false witnesses against him to tear down his character. This is a ploy of the enemy. God never engages in it. It's something that the, the enemy does. And this wasn't the only pattern I've shown you. I've shown you other patterns in the Word of God that are signature marks of the enemy. That even though we don't have hindsight for what's going on today, what has gone on in the past can give us hindsight for what has gone on today. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God. To know what happened in the Old Testament. To know what happened in the New Testament. And to bring these things into the forefront of our thinking. So when I am looking for truth, well, which way is right? Which way is, is good? This person tells me this way is good. This person tells me this way is good. I don't know which way is good. I can't just throw up my arms and say I'm not going to receive any of them. Because that wasn't received very well by God in Ezekiel's day or Jeremiah's day. In different locations they were in. It's up to me. The Word of God says, test the spirits to know which ones are of God. And we can do that. So as we look at our time today and we think of all the things that are going on and we can get confused and prophets are this way and prophets are that way and some ministers are saying this and some ministers are saying this and which way do we go? How do we, how do we go there? You have some churches, big churches in America and they teach grace from one point of view and then other ones have come along and they teach grace from another place. Which one is right? We have some, some churches that get up and say, well, Jesus' is, uh, healing doesn't go on the way that it used to. And other ones that get up and say healing does. And which one is right? There's always going to be multiple sides because the devil just loves to confuse things. He doesn't just want two sides. He wants multiple sides. He wants to confuse it so that you can't pick out the Word of God. But God has given us all that we need to understand and to know. And he called his man here Ezekiel. And he called Jeremiah. And he gave them words. Two different locations. Same people. Some still in the homeland. And some who have been carried off into captivity. And he gave them a purpose. He says, you, you speak my words. They won't hear you. But you still speak them. Speak my words. For Jeremiah, you need to speak the words because I'm not going to hold them accountable if they haven't heard. For Ezekiel, you speak my words even though they won't hear it now, they eventually will. And they are the ones that are going to be the good figs. So they each had a purpose, but both of them are going to be rejected for most of the time that they were here. So even though we see the truth being rejected all around us, we shouldn't get discouraged. It has happened in the past. 
And God survived. And we will survive too. Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. And I thank you that we may live in a world where there is many decisions, many opportunities to go one way or another. But Father, your light leads us through. We receive your light. And I thank you for it. And if we have opportunity to minister to those who don't receive your light, help us, Father, to see the good figs from the bad figs. Not based on what they're doing now, but based on where they're going. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.